No? Yes. Wow, that's much better. All right, so we are jumping into this new series. Before we get to that, I, I'm glad you're here today. Sorry about that thing. But uh, yeah, so if it's your first time, if you fill out that Connect card, put it in the offering at the, a little bit later in the service, uh, that's cool, everybody. But if it's your first time here, if you take that Connect card to the information table, we got a little gift for you. It's just a way of saying we're glad you're here. And uh, I am glad you're here. It stopped raining. Isn't that awesome? I kind of wondered. <laughs> it's, it's been really nice. I was asked by Paula Beecham to share something with you. One of the missions we support together here at Connection Christian is the Living Water Christian Mission in Go Naives, Haiti. We've adopted a little rural town called Village Highland out in the, way out in the boonies, about as far as you can get in the middle of nowhere in Haiti. And we had a trivia night last Friday to raise some money for a project down there. Raised over $8,000, looks like, so far. And uh, so thank you. And Paula asked me to tell you, if you're interested in adopting a child, you, they don't come to your house, but you're like providing for their school and food and for, so forth. Um, we still have kids that are available for adoption in that way. And you can talk to Paula after service, and she'd be happy to talk to you about all of that. So Paula, if you just want to be at the connecting, I don't even know where you're at, but if, go to the Connect and Contribute table, and you can ask for Paula, and somebody will get you there. And that way you can be part of it. So we're jumping into this series called God Never Said That. I got the idea from a pastor named Craig Rochelle at Life Church. It's a really good idea looking at some of the things we believe culturally that we think are in the Bible, but they're really actually not. Case in point, one of the things I've noticed is a lot of things that people say, well, that's in the Bible, and they'll start saying something. And in my mind, I'm going, that's not really in the Bible. Mike Didka, the famous NFL coach, uh, got fired from the Chicago Bears several years ago, giving a very tearful, emotional press conference the next day. He said, scripture tells you all things will pass. This too shall pass. God bless you, Mike. That's a very encouraging and powerful sentiment, but it's not a biblical sentiment. This too shall pass is not in the Bible. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I wonder how many of you thought this too shall pass is in there. It's just not in there. And so this is what we're going to do over the next several weeks. We're going to take several things like that, that that just pretty much ask any American of any religious persuasion, and there's going to be some things that we all kind of believe, and we think they're biblical, and we think that God maybe said them, but maybe God didn't say them, and we want to unpack them. Like, next week's a pretty important day. It's Mother's Day, for one thing, so do with that what you need to. But we're also going to be talking about this idea, maybe you've even said this or had somebody say this to you, God will not give you more than you can handle. You ever said that? It's not in the Bible, by the way. So maybe you want to come back and you can maybe come back next week and show me where it is. And I got this one wrong. Something else we're going to look at in a few weeks, we're going to, this uh, actually a pretty dangerous idea that it really doesn't matter what you do as long as you don't hurt anybody. Well, what if that's not true? That could be pretty dangerous for you. Or even this one, we're going to tackle another idea. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe in sincerely. Well, what if God has a different take on that? So uh, you can come, and whether you agree or not, we'll talk about it, we'll think about it, we'll look at what the Bible does say. Today we're going to dig in, as you saw at the video at the beginning, we're going to dig into what the Bible says and what our feelings are about happiness, the beliefs that we've got. Now, again, you've probably had a conversation or two like this. You've either had somebody say this to you as you're trying to wrestle with the decision, or you've said this to somebody, like you're going, should I go to college? Many of you are right here. Which college should I go to? I hope I get into a college. Or maybe you're like, who should I, you know, spend the rest of my life with? Or can I just even get a date? And it's something like, which car should I buy? I'm at Sonic. Should I get the tots or the fries? I've got that one. Tots. Always tots. But, you know, you like doing this. Or, you know, is it time to move into a new house? Are we ready to get married? Uh, should we start having kids? Invariably, the person who's listening to you will say something like this. Well, what's going to make you happiest? 
If it'll make you happy, you should do that. And that's pretty much where we are as Americans, right? We're all about the comfort. We're all about uh, doing what is we think is best for us. And like we even somebody say, like, yeah, it's like in the Bible, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? Like, well, that's actually a declaration of independence. But but I see where you're coming from with that. And we, you know, I, I would even say that's not anti-biblical. The Bible talks a lot about being happy. The Bible talks a lot about how to be happy. The Bible even talks a lot about how important it is that you choose an attitude of happiness and, and rejoicing. Let me just give you some examples. These are in your worship folder. If you've got the Bible app, you can pull these up. They're going to be on the screen as well. Like Psalm 97, 12 says, may all who are godly rejoice. Another way of saying that, may all who are godly be happy in the Lord and praise his holy name. Ecclesiastes 3.12, written by Solomon, one of the smartest men who ever lived. Wisest men said, I know there's nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. Go over to the New Testament. The Apostle Paul, a Christian, one of the, you know, the Christians that we all learn from and emulate. He said this in Philippians 4.4 in the Bible. Always be glad. Always rejoice because of the Lord. I'll say it again. Be glad. So the Bible talks a lot about this. I'll even say this, and I want you to hear this right up front. God has given us an ability to experience immense happiness and pleasure, and there's all kinds of good things in the world. He's surrounded us in this world with all kinds of things for our enjoyment. Good things to eat, uh, pleasant experiences to have, family, friends, wonderful nature. Just so many things that God has given us for our enjoyment. And it was his intention. It was his idea. We didn't hack the system. It's not like God made it. And he's like, can you believe what they're doing now? They're, they're like finding ways to be happy. I can't believe they're doing it. That's, that's not his. He's like, I made this stuff for you. And I know you're going to enjoy it because I made it that way. And I made you with all the, the chemistry and the emotions to enjoy it. Like James 1.17 is a really good like, summing up of all of this. It says, every desirable and beneficial gift comes out of heaven. The gifts are rivers of light cascading down from the Father of light. So if you think about it, every good thing that we enjoy, everything that makes us happy long-term, that, that came from God. Seems like a no-brainer, right? God wants me to be happy. I want to be happy. Done. We're good. And at the same time, you, you know, like there's, there's got to be a catch here, right? Here it is. I would love to say to you, yeah, God just only wants you to be happy God will never let anything bad come into your life that ruins your day. God will never give you more than you can handle. I would love to say all those things, but I can't because it's not true. And then you're like, wait a minute. You're saying God wants me to be miserable? That doesn't make sense to me either. And here's my thing. I'm not saying that, that God wants you to be miserable. You heard the verses. You know, God wants me to be happy. So do whatever it is that makes you happy. It's, it's true, but it's an incomplete truth. It's not the whole story. So it, it's, just, it's, it's something to consider when you're making decisions about how you live your life, but it's not the only thing you should be considering when you think about it. So Craig Rochelle points out there's something like the, the theology of happiness. I just call it the American theology of happiness because you won't find this all across the world. But certainly we are so affluent, we've kind of created this whole theology that we buy into and believe whether it's true or not. I don't think it's necessarily true. I call these false tenets of the American theology of happiness. And you can write these down or they're in your worship folder. And if you don't agree with me, think about it and we can talk later. But number one, if you're taking notes, whatever makes me happy is right for me and whatever makes me unhappy is definitely wrong for me. That's part of the theology of happiness. Number two, we start to falsely believe that God will not do anything that brings into my world discomfort or delay or obstacles or suffering or risk or inconvenience. 
Like, if that is in your life, there's a tendency to think, well, this can't be from God, because God wouldn't want me to be like going through this. If he really can. And I believe he cares, so this must be from Satan. Well, maybe not. Finally, the false tenet that I think a lot of people get caught up on is, I must diligently pursue comfort, money, pleasure, and stuff as my highest priorities. I don't know that anybody ever actually says that. Some people do. But if you dig down, that's often what drives a lot of what we do. We're pursuing comfort, or we're pursuing the low-risk life, or we're, we're pursuing things that make us happy and, and are pleasurable to us. But the other side of that is, what can happen is, something other than God can become first place in your life. And the Bible calls that idolatry. When you pursue something as your ultimate source of comfort and of security and of happiness, God's supposed to be that person that, that holds that place. But when we, we make happiness number one, we've pushed God out of the way. So C.S. Lewis um, talks about this. He's British. He's a philosopher. You may have heard of C.S. Lewis, the, the Chronicles of Narnia, Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe. Uh, he was giving a series of lectures, and somebody in the question and answer time after said, Mr. Lewis, Professor Lewis, Dr. Lewis, whatever, uh, of all the world religions, like which one makes its followers the happiest? And he thought about it for a second. He said, well, while it lasts, the religion of worshiping oneself is, is best. And you know, we get that, right? You put something else other than God, and we say, like, I'm going to pursue what's best for me. And, and maybe we don't ever put those two thoughts together that that's what I've done when I pursue my ultimate good over what God wants. Here's my bottom line for me. Every week when I, t I teach and we talk together, I believe that what we believe influences how we live and what we experience in life. So I'm always trying to say, what does the Bible teach us to be truth? How can we embrace it? What does Jesus say about how the world works and how relationships work? How can I embrace that? This is one of those times. What does God say about happiness? Um, I just think that I've found and what I've learned from the scripture is that there are some bad outcomes that come from making your choices simply on what makes me happiest. If that's your number one filter for whether you do something or don't do something, whether you, you know, how you, your relationships or whatever, uh, I've been as guilty of this as anybody, but there's some really bad things that come out of that. For one thing, I've really noticed that if my only decision-making filter is, does this make me happy, I inevitably making some really bad decisions. Everybody does this. I will give you an example of somebody who followed this principle. So uh, anybody ever, like if you're going south, do you ever cut through Chesterfield Highway 109 to Highway 100? Does this ring a bell with anybody besides me? I do that all the time to go to Moms in Union. So I'm getting Interstate 44. And so, you know, you cut through the Chesterfield Valley, you get to 100, and it's straight. 100 is just like four lanes of straight until you get just outside of Gray Summit. And it is a twisty, narrow, two-lane, wow, you really got to slow down some points or you're going to drive off into a steep ravine. So I was going out to mom's on a weekday in the morning uh, to take her to a doctor's appointment. And so there's like no one on the road at that time. I may have been driving a little fast. I know, hard for you to believe. But I mean, that's a really enjoyable stretch of road. It's really twisty and it's going downhill. And I was having a good time in my car when all of a sudden someone is coming towards me and the adrenaline spiked. You ever had that moment where somebody's coming towards you and you so there was a Jeep coming toward me up the hill through the curviest, the worst part. If, if you've driven before, just think of the worst part of that. Two high school boys, top-down Jeep, coming up the road toward me at an incredibly high rate of speed, like three times faster than you should be driving that section. But that wasn't the worst. I could have handled that. I could have got out of their way, and I was already trying to get out of their way and slow down as fast as I could. They were coming up the road in reverse, 
backwards. Whoa! And I could hear them because the top was down. And they were both grinning ear to ear. They were so happy as they were looking backwards, driving the Jeep up this road backwards through the curvy stuff. And as I said before, when your only filter for what you do is what makes you happy, you will do some incredibly dumb things. Case in point. Would you write this down or at least think about this? God doesn't want you to choose happy when it causes you to do something unwise or sinful. If you're going to do stupid, God would rather you not do happy. Like if driving a Jeep up the road backwards makes you happy, don't do that. Because that's not really going to be good for you in the end. Those bad decisions will stick with you. Here's a more serious example. Over the years, I've been a pastor for a while now. I've had the privilege of presiding over a lot of weddings for a lot of couples. Some of them really close friends. And... Sadly, I've got to say, I don't have a 100% track record with the weddings I performed. In other words, like, I can't say that 100% of the people that have you know, been there for their special day are still together. And, and especially the closer I am to people, the more awkward it can be the next time we get together. And I'm like, yeah, what happened? I really thought you guys, because nobody, I, have, I meet with everybody. We meet like several times. And we talk about the roadblocks and the things that can come up after you're married because the, the wedding is one day, the marriage is a lifetime, and it's tough. And so nobody goes into that wedding thinking, we're going to see what happens. Yeah, this might work, it might not. At least nobody I've ever had the privilege of being a part of that special day for. They all see themselves 50 years down the road in a swing together somewhere. So when I'm talking to them and they're like, what happened? I get invariably a variation of this story. Yeah, we just weren't really happy together anymore. And we decided the best thing to do would be just part ways and find our happiness separately. And, you know, like I am, believe me, if you're here and you're like single again, whether you want it to be or not or whatever, I'm not trying to poke a bruise. I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad. But I, I look at that and go, you guys made a commitment. And if there wasn't adultery and there wasn't abuse, I guess what I'm saying, I'm kind of talking to those of us who are in the, you know, the for better, for worse. If you're kind of in the for worse part of your marriage right now, I think for God, it's more important that you honor your commitment than find your happiness. And I, th- I think if you can find your way to honor your commitment to each other, even when you, mm, eventually you'll find your happiness. Now, here's another side of that. Like a whole lot of us as Americans have just looked at the state of marriage and gone, no, thank you. I don't want any part of that. We'll just live together and we'll see how that works. Which, again, if you're a Christ follower, I don't really think that's what God wants for you. He wants you to commit to each other before you're together. And just based on research, it's also unwise. Your relationship won't do better living together than it, it will flourish. It has a better chance of flourishing through the commitment of marriage. So, so many things I could just bring up here. And I'm not trying to pick on relationships. You can talk about anything like pursuing my happiness because I've just found it's easier to lie because then people are happier if I do or I, I find that I can move myself ahead or, you know, the, the five-finger discount. My life's happier when I walk out of the store with something I didn't pay for because, you know, I really wanted that video game but I didn't have enough for it. You can just, anything that we choose to do that's wrong and sinful, just unwise, we're pursuing happiness but it's un- overall what you're left with in the end is a whole lot of consequences and the happiness fades really quick. I'm just here to tell you from my own experience. The Apostle Peter once wrote this to some new Christians. It's actually in our Bible. This is the letter of 1 Peter, 
Peter the Apostle was writing to a bunch of people who just recently accepted Christ and they've been baptized. Listen to what he told them. This is the advice he gave them. 1 Peter 1, 14 and 15. As obedient children, you're children of God now, don't conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Now, he's not calling them dumb. He's just saying, when you, before you became a Christian, you didn't know any better, but you know better now. So just as God who called you is holy, so you be holy in all you do. Not really talking about happiness here. He's talking about holiness, to which I know some of you have been around the block a few times with the church world, and you're like, I've heard this sermon before. God doesn't care if you're whole, happy. He cares if you're holy. I have a problem with that, though, too. I think that's too far over this way, because it's like saying that holiness and happiness are enemies, and you have to choose between holiness or happiness. And I'm, most of us will just go, I'll take happiness. <laughs> just Don't make me choose. And God doesn't make you choose. You, you can be holy and happy. It's not like you have to just cast everything out of your life. There are some things that momentarily look like they will make you incredibly happy. If I take this, smoke that, do that, whatever, in the end, it really ends up hurting you. And, and so God's not forcing you to choose between your happiness and honoring him. When you honor God, you end up getting both. I'll give you another example. I have a close family member, a friend, um, who spent several years just basically just burdened down with alcoholism just ruined their life and just a lot of choices there that hurt career and health and family, all of that. And then they just came to a point where they're like, you know what? I'm not willing to pay this price anymore. Something that at the beginning brought great happiness and pleasure to my life has gotten a hold of my life and now I'm addicted to it and it's ruining my life and I'm a slave. And they just made the decision. I'm done with that. And I'm, I'm not going to hang around with the people anymore that I used to hang out with when I drank because they'll just pull me back into it. I'm not going to go to the places I used to have fun when I was drinking because I know I'll be drawn back into it and say, let it go. Now, in the moment, it seemed like the most daunting thing in the world to say no to the alcohol and to not drink anymore. It's like I, just you know, one day at a time, one hour at a time, rubbing that Alcoholics Anonymous coin. Now, many years later, looking back on it, it doesn't look like a courageous thing anymore. It just looks like the most sensible thing they could have ever done. Because God says, look, I don't want any of my children to be a slave of anything. And what you thought was going to bring you so much happiness, it's, it's enslaving you. It's not. It's making you miserable. It's killing everything about your life that once was good. Because when you, you know, when you choose happiness, sometimes it makes you make some really bad decisions. There's something else I want you to think about. If your only decision-making filter is how happy something makes you or me, it will inhibit my personal growth and maturity. Like, if I only, if I only choose to do something and I say no to everything that will be difficult, I'm not going to grow up. So uh, before I did this, for many years I was a student minister and a youth minister. I took a bunch of junior and senior high kids on a ski trip. So we just loaded all the vans up. We went to a ski resort. It was awesome until one of our high school girls hit a patch of ice and she went down hard. I mean, like blood, big gash. I'm going to stop there because I don't want to pass out. But it was, it was nasty. Ski Patrol got her patched up, but he was like, you guys are going to need to get her to an ER. She needs a lot of stitches. She needs medical attention, more than what I can do. So, And when she heard stitches, she started freaking out. I'd never seen it before. She's such a mild kid. And she's like, ah, don't call my parents, and I'm fine. I'll just go back skiing. Everybody goes ski. You can't even stand up straight. What do you mean you're fine? You're bleeding everywhere. No, I'm good. She was terrified of getting stitches. Never had them before. Terrified of needles. Don't call my parents. I'll be fine. So what am I going to do? Am I going to listen to this high school girl? 
and put her short-term happiness over her long-term health? No way. We called her parents. We went to the ER. She got the stitches. And I think, I think she's thankful now that I did that. I think I could be wrong about that. I think sometimes we make the wrong assumptions about God. And here's what I mean by that. Like, when things are not easy in my life, it's very easy to question God. Like, you don't know what you're doing, and you don't care what I'm going through. Like, God, I said my prayers. I'm doing all the right things. I'm going to church. I've been, I've been reading my Bible. I joined a life group like they said, too. I've been doing good things. I, I swerved to, to miss the neighbor's cat. Said, I put money in the offering. I'm doing the right things, God, and my kids are still rebelling. I... I the cancer is still there. I'm still unemployed. I still can't get a date. You just fill in the blank there. And it just seems like God doesn't care about my happiness. And here's the question I've got. What if God has different priorities for your life than you do? What if God cares about something different than you do for your life? What if he cares more about your long-term growth than your short-term happiness? And he knows that the only way to make you the kind of person you really want to be is to actually go through some of these difficult times. What if it's that... God is doing some good things in your life that you can only gain by going through some tough times and experiencing some things and learning to stick it out. Maybe he's knocking off some rough edges. Maybe because you think God's whole job is like to be your concierge and make you happy, maybe you think God failed you just because you got the wrong idea about what his role in your life should be. He's your father, not your butler. And he cares so much about your long-term health, maturity, and well-being that sometimes he allows the difficult things to happen. Sometimes he allows you to just suffer the consequences of what dumb things you do so you learn not to do it again. So many things. I just wonder if God wants something better for you than you even know to want for yourself right now. My daughter, Abby, ran track this year. She's a freshman. She's never ran before. And she said, I could tell you this story. So we're, we're good. I don't tell stories about my kids unless they approve. Um, she really did well this year. Freshman, high school, track. It was, it's awesome to watch her and watch her improve over the season. And uh, she's a distance runner like I was when I was in high school. Not like one of those wimpy sprinters. You like run three steps and you're done. That's not whatever. You got to work if you're a distance runner. And man, she worked. And, uh, you know, I was like, I remember her first several practices, she would come home and just basically die. <laughs> she was in so much pain. And some of you who started running, do you remember those days when you first started running? It's not easy. Things hurt that you didn't even know existed on your body. And your shins hurt. And we, we got her some better shoes, and that helped a little bit. But her coach was just like, we got a special practice for you today. Like, and this is how Abby felt whenever her coach would say something like that. Yeah, there, there's Abby right there. Got a special workout for you today, guys. But you know what happened? Brand new to running, but Abby did really well. I told Abby earlier this year, I feel like such a bad dad. I said, Abby, you know, when it comes for time for conference, you're not going to get picked. You're a freshman. Okay, let's just be realistic here. You, freshmen don't go to conference unless you're really good, so don't be disappointed. It's okay. You got three more years to improve. Abby went to conference Friday night. Oh, way to go, Dad. I'll tell you this. Abby is really good, and she's getting better. And Abby is the runner she is because she endured all those practices. And I know she wanted to quit those first few weeks, but she didn't. I don't know what you're enduring right now and holding on by your fingernails, but it's not necessarily a sign that you're in the wrong place. It could be. I mean, sometimes things hurt because we're doing something dumb, and it's just God's way of saying, stop. I mean, sometimes 
it hurts because you're in exactly the place that God wants you. And he's teaching you something. He's knocking rough edges off of you. He's teaching you to be you know, kinder and more loving and more sympathetic. Or he's teaching you to stick it out when you want to quit. Who knows what God's doing in your life right now to teach you to be more gracious to others. The Apostle Paul, like I, I talked about him earlier. He's the one who said, rejoice in the Lord always, always be happy. He had a really difficult time in his life, and he actually wrote about it to some friends of his, and it made it into the Bible. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Listen to what he said. We wanted you to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. He was on a, missions, a mission trip. He said, man, it was so tough. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. We thought we'd never live through it. In fact, we thought we, did, we expected to die. But as a result of all that, we stopped relying on ourselves and we started to learning to rely on God who raises the dead. So you just look at that. Paul, why was Paul in Asia? His idea or God's idea? God sent him to Asia. Go on this mission trip. Didn't have a very good experience there. The people treated him so roughly that he thought he was going to die. He's where God wants him to be. He's going through a difficult time. But what did Paul get out of that experience? Hey, now I know how to rely on God more than I ever did before. God who raises the dead. Because if they killed me, I still believe God would raise me from the dead. Paul would never have got that had God not let him suffer. And some things you'll never get in your life if God only just gives you happiness and peace and ease every step of the way. Sometimes, a friend of mine once said this, and I hated it when I heard it, but I've said it a lot since then. It's like mom wisdom. Sometimes the hard thing and the right thing are the same thing. Just try telling yourself that. If you're going through something very difficult right now, it's not necessarily a sign that you're in the wrong place. I'm out of time. I need to wrap this up. Let me just go ahead and give you one last thing to think about. I want you to walk out of here with the right attitude. It is not wrong to want to be happy. Don't walk out of here thinking, Brian says I have to be miserable because that's what God wants. No, no, it's, it's fine. What's wrong is how we go about trying to find happiness. We've, as a whole, humanity, have so long tried to find happiness in all the wrong places instead of looking to God. Let me give you a scripture to hang your hat on. It's about changing our focus. Psalm 37, 4 says, take delight in the Lord, and then he will give you the desires of your heart. First, focus on God, and then let God provide your happiness. Jesus even said something like that in Matthew 6, I think it was 33, seek first the kingdom of heaven and God's righteousness, and then all the things you worry about will be given to you. It's just a matter of priorities. First God, then all the things that I think I need and that will make me happy, God will provide those. In other words, just focus on the truly important things. Make the the, the best things the first things. Um, Like a week or two ago, I got to go hike on the Appalachian Trail. I've been doing a little section at a time. I've done from Georgia now all the way up into Virginia, so like one-fourth of it. I got to go hike like 60 miles of just really rough down in North Carolina. And you remember it was like, Big surprise here. It was raining, like forever. I drove through all that, and I'm hiking. It was just miserable, straight up, straight down. It's wet. At the end of the day, I got to the shelter where we were camping out, and there were a bunch of what we call through hikers. They start in Georgia in the spring. They're trying to hike all the way up into Maine by the end of the summer. And so there's like 12, 14, 15 kids, just hikers there at the shelter. Everybody's wet. Everybody's miserable. Everybody's hungry. We're all just, at the end of the day, we're eating. And I walked out of the shelter, and I'm just kind of looking at the sky. And it was all clouds and then mountains, but there's this little gap here of just like what looked like clear sky, and it was starting to glow. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, could it be? Could the sun actually come out? And in that one moment, the sun came down from below the clouds, but it was still above the mountains. I've got a picture of this, the very last of it there. 
And it was beautiful. And someone's like, I didn't know I would ever see the sun again. So I'm standing outside the shelter. Everybody else is in there just kind of doing their thing, just very self-focused. And I guess I just started glowing from the sun. And I'm just going like, this is why I came out here. And then another girl from the shelter, I guess she looked over and saw I was glowing from the sun. So she came out and she's like, what's going on? And she, she saw it. So she stands there and she's looking at the sunset. And then somebody else saw us standing there and like, what's going on? They came out, left their food, which is a big thing because everybody's so hungry. And they came out. Pretty soon, like 15 of us just standing there going, yeah. Because when you're, you know, you're out there, you can get so focused on how much it hurts and how much your feet are tore up and blistered and how hungry you are. And you forget, why did I come out here to begin with? Oh, yeah, that's why I came out here, to see that, to experience that. Maybe you, like you came here and you... You, you, you drug yourself here because you, you got a lot going on. I just want to remind you what's really important to look at and to focus on. God, our Father, is the source of every good thing. So maybe for you, it's, today is the day to repent and turn back to God because you've been chasing other things. Maybe for you, today is the day to say for the first time, I'm going to focus on Jesus. I'm going to commit to him. If you need to commit to Jesus to be baptized, we can help you do that. I'll tell you, after church, we have this thing called Belong. It's just a class where if you're interested in membership or interested in becoming a Christian, you can come, get your questions answered. And so you're welcome to come. It's at the office after church at 12 o'clock. Just grab a lunch and show up. Or just catch me after church and we can talk now. But I don't want you to walk out of here without doing something with what God's showing you today in this service. Can I invite you to stand up and let me pray for you? Father, I'm sorry that we've chased so many things other than you. That's our fault and we've done that. And we're like, you know, another place in the Bible, you said we're like sheep. We've all gone astray. We've all got lost. But thank you for coming to find us. Thank you for pulling us back to you. Please draw our hearts to you with the love that you have for us. Help us to say yes to all the amazing things that you want to do, including forgiving our sins, giving us eternal life, adopting us into your family. Thank you for all that. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.